Fathers and I will read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 2. There we find God's word summarized as follows. From where do you know your sins and misery? From the law of God. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Can you keep all this perfectly? No. I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 25 to stanzas 2, 5, 9, and 10. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, that includes you, boys and girls. This afternoon, it is about our sin and misery. Don't we hear enough about that? Is that what we come to church for? Why not some other topic? Something more joyful? I agree. When we come to church, we need to have the burden of sin and gift lifted from our shoulders. We need to receive strength for the coming week, for we have to deal with all kinds of difficult situations and difficult people during the week, and we need to have a positive state of mind to help us cope. Indeed, you have to have the right state of mind. But that's actually what this Lord's Day is about. For it is only through the knowledge of our sins and misery that we can find true contentment and joy. Only our sins and misery can teach us how to be joyful in the midst of a miserable and sinful world. And that's what we were also reminded of in the previous Lord's Day. In speaking about the comfort and joy that we may have because of the fact that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, it asks us in the second question how we can live and die in that comfort. We are told that in order to live in the comfort and joy, we first need to know how great our sins and misery are. And so that's what we need to be taught. And that's also what I will preach to you about this afternoon. It is about the joyful teachings concerning our sins and misery. And we will see that our sins and misery teach us about three things. First of all, about difficult people. In the second place, our miserable selves. And in the third place, a wise God. So it is about the joyful teachings concerns our sins and misery. First, then, it teaches us about difficult people. No doubt you agree that this world is full of difficult people. People who are hard to get along with. Irritating and annoying people. Some people really take the cake. They're extremely selfish, rude, and surly. Their bad behavior is obvious to everyone. And so we get into conflict with them. 
I have no doubt that there is not a single person here in this building who has not met a person like that. And therefore, we often are in conflict with such people. This could be with a close relative. It could even be with your spouse or one of your children or an uncle or somebody you work with. There are always people that you would rather avoid. I have no doubt that that is the case also with you young people and young children in this congregation. And so let me ask you children of this congregation, are there some people in your life that you don't like? Some people with whom you don't get along with? Perhaps a certain person at school or some relative or your teacher maybe? I have no doubt that there are. Perhaps it is even one or both of your parents. You don't get along with them and you try to avoid them as much as you can. However, that's not always possible, is it? You cannot walk away from close relatives or from people at work or at school. Some people just have to be too much part of your life. And somehow you have to deal with them. You have no choice. How do you handle that? Well, there's always plenty of advice. Friends who care about you will often step up and try to help you out with words of wisdom. When they see you frustrated and upset because of a difficult person that they know that you have to deal with every day, they will say to you, why don't you say something to that person? Why don't you have it out with him or her? Tell that person who bothers you so much exactly what you think. Obviously, that person in your life has a problem. And you will also do him or her a great favor if you point that out. Don't you think that other people have the same problem with that person? Why don't you have a heart-to-heart talk with that bothersome person in your life and straighten things out? You just can't let these things go. It's taking the joy out of your life. If you just make clear in a reasonable and friendly, non-threatening way what is bothering you, I'm sure that that person will listen to you. But then you may say to yourself or think to yourself, well, you don't know what this person is like. I've tried. You don't know how terribly difficult it is to deal with that particular person. This is just the one person you can get through. He or she is never going to change. I know that as a fact. And that is often the sad truth, isn't it? There are some people who just refuse to look at themselves and to understand how others see them and how they can bother other people. Time and again you try to talk to that person but you don't get anywhere. You either create a bad scene because you dare to criticize him or her or you get a blank stare that says, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or, and that's even more frustrating, that person will agree with you but nothing changes. He or she keeps on doing the same kinds of annoying and selfish things they have been doing all along. That's extremely frustrating, isn't it? You are convinced that that person has a fatal flaw. He or she is incurably lazy or rude or ill-tempered or unfriendly or slanderous, etc. And you know that no matter what you say or do, 
that person isn't going to change. We have our hopes, though. You have the hope that when circumstances change, that then that person will also change their attitude and their way of doing things and relating to others. You think that that bothersome person is always so cranky and ill-behaved because of some circumstance. Perhaps it is because he has a lousy job, or because he doesn't have a lot of money, or because of something else that he or she doesn't have, but other people do have. And so you will try to cater to them and try to give them what they want. You do that in the hope that when their circumstances change, that then that person is going to change as well. Then he or she is going to be happier and easier to get along with. But invariably, that never happens, does it? Such a person may receive a boatload of money and suddenly have a whole slew of friends or receive whatever they have been complaining about not having all their lives, but they still don't change. They're still basically the same person that they always were. Frustrating. Do you know why? That's because they are that way because of their character. It's who they are. You can't change them. Once you come into such insight, however, then you already have made some progress. For then you know that it isn't your fault that the person is the way he or she is. It's not because you didn't try hard enough to make the person change. It's not because of any flaw within you or anything to do with you that the other person behaves in the way that he or she does. The fact of the matter is you cannot change that person's character. You cannot change the way another person behaves. You have no control over that. And that is very frustrating. And now comes the point of the sermon. And I hope and pray that you will never forget this most important point. When you have come to that insight about other people, and then you have just received a glimpse of what it must be like for God. For you see, that is exactly what God has to deal with when it comes to us, when it comes to you and to me. And that's also what this second point is about. It's about our own miserable selves. Think about what God has done. He created a most beautiful and rich world for us to live in, and He made us the crown of His creation. He gave us intelligent minds to be able to rule over this creation. He populated the earth with all kinds of animals and all kinds of different vegetation. We could enjoy the bounty of his hands to the utmost. And there is no limit to what we can have. And then after he has done that, he sees that Adam and Eve, and therefore we and them, decided to spoil it all. You and I threw a monkey wrench into everything, just like the other people do in our lives when they spoil our aspirations and plans by their crooked lives. All the things that God gave to us for happiness we turned into things to be jealous about and to fight with and to hoard and to abuse and to misappropriate. 
That's us. That's you and me. All of us. No exceptions. You see, brothers and sisters, that is what God has to deal with. Well, you may say, for God, that's different than for us. God is almighty, and he can do anything. God could, if he wanted, to change our character. And that's true. But God, in his infinite wisdom, decided not to deal with man in that way. When God created man, he created him with a free will. He did not want to be served by some pre-programmed machine, but by a willing and loving creature. But we decided to do otherwise. We decided to be self-serving rather than God-serving, and that radically changed our character. It changed our character to such an extent that we are incapable of doing any good. And that's the insight God wants us to have. But we have to come to that insight for ourselves. We have to own that for ourselves. It takes time for us to come to that point. That takes growth in our spiritual development. It usually takes us a long time to get it, and some people never get it. And then once we do get it, we forget it again. It's not as if it isn't explained to us time and again. No, we are told that frequently and in many ways. But we have such a hard time getting it. Paul finally did. And so he cried out, What a wretched man I am! He says, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And further, I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. How Paul cried out to God because of his sinfulness. It took Paul a long time to come to that point. God confronted him on the road to Damascus in the midst of his self-righteous attempt to impose his warped morality on others. Paul was a driven man. He was convinced that he was better than others because of his ability to keep the law. But then his eyes were opened. God opened his eyes and gave him a glimpse of what he saw. When he looked at Paul, what did God see? How does God see you and me individually? Well, he sees a lot more than we do. He may be able to see, just like we do, the character flaws of other people and all the other irritating and sinful things that other people do. But God sees much more than that. He looks at me. He looks at you. And he sees what we don't see. He sees that we are not any different from the other people. We may not have the exact same character flaws as our wife, or our husband, or our boss, or our mother, or our father, whoever. But he sees what we don't see about ourselves. He sees what's wrong with us. And that is why the Lord Jesus warned us so clearly in the Sermon of the Mount. He said, do not judge, or you too will be judged. And 
and take out the plank in your own eye before you try to take out a speck out of your brother's eye. Look at yourself. See yourself for the miserable creature that you are. See yourself and the kinds of things that you do wrong. How you yourself are an irritant to other people. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, listen, please listen to this sermon for yourself. Don't think how this is meant for other people. This is meant for, meant for you personally. Don't hide behind the sins of others. And don't just quickly pass over these kinds of things either. Don't pass over this with some vague general admission such as, of course, I know I have my faults. And then in this way try to be done with it. It is important to realize that there is some real fatal flaw within you. That there is something inside of you and me which gives the other person also that same feeling of despair as you have with regard to them. But why, you may ask, don't other people tell me? Believe me, they have tried. And they have come up against the brick wall. Perhaps you have never noticed that some people are forever nagging you. Telling you the same thing over and over. Or that they are irritable around you. Or that they are rude to you or give you the silent treatment. Stuff like that. Perhaps this has a lot to do with their attempt to make you see yourself for who you are. To make you realize how you come across and to try to make you change. They're sending you a message. But you're not listening. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God sees all of us. Sees all of that. He is, that's the third point, such a wise God. He sees everything. He sees all the flaws and the imperfections and the ways that we sin against Him and against each other. We are so limited in our vision. And we so easily judge others. But do you know what He sees and what we don't see? First of all, about other people. He sees each person in all their brokenness. He understands much better why certain people act the way that they do. He knows how some of us have been mistreated by others and how that makes us angry and how that has made it difficult for us to relate to other people. He sees also the brokenness of our bodies and our minds. Some people have difficulty functioning and relating to other people because of the way that they, are out, that they are wired. In other words, because there may be certain chemicals lacking in their blood, or because they were born with some kind of disposition, giving them great difficulty in controlling certain urges. None of this excuses us, of course. We have no excuse before God. It is all because of our sinful nature that these things are that way. But God created us good, and in His image, we only have ourselves to blame. But nevertheless, He sees these things. He is compassionate. He loves us 
in spite of it all. And then you may say, well, that's easy for him. That must be easy for him to live with. He doesn't have to deal with the kinds of things that I have to deal with every day. He doesn't have to deal with my mother whosoever, who so often yells at me, with my boss who never appreciates anything I do, with my husband who only uses me. And he doesn't have to live in my skin either when I'm weak and lonely and when I feel like ending it all because life is so difficult. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has gone through. The Bible tells us that he is also able to sympathize with us, with our weaknesses, because he has gone through the same kinds of things and then some. He had to deal with some of the most miserable creatures you could ever meet, and he did, and he did it perfectly. He was abandoned in a way in which we would never be abandoned. And he was punished in a way that we would never be punished. And he bore it all. And he lived amongst us as a perfect man. But that's not all. For you may think something else. You may think, well, that is something that happened in the past. Now he is in heaven. His task is done. Is that true? Brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit and who lives in the temple of God. God, the Holy Spirit. He lives within us in a much more intimate and close way than we have to live with others. And he doesn't walk away from us, does he? God's Holy Spirit lives within you and me, and He knows every vile thought that comes up in our hearts and minds. He knows about every time we have feelings of hatred and anger, of greed and of arrogance and of self-deceit. Day in, day out, we grieve His patient and loving Spirit. Every moment of each day, our sinful nature goes up against this great and loving and kind spirit. He lives with us all the time. And that's not all he does. Don't think that the Lord Jesus is in heaven doing nothing. He is actively interceding for us. He constantly puts our weaknesses and shortcomings and sins before the Father and asks Him time and again to forgive us and to renew us and to prepare us for the last day. And so where is the joy this afternoon? For all brothers and sisters, boys and girls, in case you didn't get it. The joy is that God continues to love you and bear with your and my weaknesses and shortcomings in spite of it all. And He does that day in, day out. Is that not something to be joyful about? And that is why Paul is also so joyful in his letter to the Romans. After his statement about the wretched man that he is, we hear him rejoice and give thanks to God. He could make that great and wonderful statement that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
how different he now is compared to before he was converted. The Lord God gave him insight into his sinful nature, and now he expresses his great thankfulness. He has a different mind, a completely different mind from before. That is why in speaking about his form and nature, he says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. What does your sinful nature desire when it comes to your neighbor, your difficult neighbor? When it comes to those people that God has placed on your path, including your loved one, to condemn them, to stand in judgment over them, to concentrate on their faults, to have thoughts of hatred about them, to despise them, to be irritated with them, to try to get rid of them in one way or the other, to have them somehow out of your life, to ignore them, and so I can go on and on. There is no end to what our sinful nature wants to do. And then Paul says, God says, stop it. Look at yourself. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's what I want you to do today and tomorrow and this coming week. See your own sin and your own misery, not in order to be morbid, not in order to get down into the dumps, no, in order to get on your knees before God and to thank Him for the fact that He is willing to put up with you and with me. To thank Him for the fact that He loves you in spite of the kind of person that you are. And now to resolve also to see others in the way that God sees them. First of all, as flawed human beings who need His compassion and kindness and understanding and patience. That is how we are to imitate God. For as the Catechism says, we are inclined by nature to hate God and our neighbor. The only way that you can stop such destructive thoughts is by thinking about the wonderful God that you have in spite of the miserable creature that you and I are. Once you fully realize that, then you cannot help but be full of joy. And then you cannot help but have your burdens of guilt lifted from your shoulders. And then you cannot help but also to bear with the sins and shortcomings of your neighbor. Oh, sure, some people's behaviors are so difficult and perverse that it is indeed very hard to deal with them. Some people are even psychopathic. Thankfully, there are not many of those around. But even in dealing with those kind of impossible people, you will be much more successful if you first of all see your own sins and misery. For you will be able to put things into a better perspective. For then you put yourself into the picture. And you know what it means that God loves you unconditionally. What a wise and wonderful God we have. And so, brothers and sisters, let us love God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul, and our neighbor as ourselves. All the law 
and the prophets hang on those two commandments. In other words, all of God's word. Love God and your neighbor. That's hard. But because Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin, I can. And I will. And I can do it joyfully. Amen.